podcast is brought to you with the support of Caseload from De Novo Business Intelligence. Welcome back to the Hay Legal Podcast. In this episode, Ali Thompson of Hay Legal is joined by Brian McConaughey QC to discuss the key provisions of the Coronavirus Scotland Bill 2020. They discuss proposals around trial and indictment, suspension of time limits and hearsay evidence. Brian outlines the current realities of the Scottish criminal justice system and the prosecution of serious crimes. Brian is one of Scotland's busiest Queen's Council, dealing principally with criminal law. He was formerly Principal Advocate with the practical responsibility for the prosecution of all High Court crime in Scotland. Let's begin. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today um, to discuss the Coronavirus Scotland Bill 2020, which is due to be debated later uh, today. Could you please start by just outlining your main issues? in relation to the proposed bill, please? From a personal point of view, my main issue is what would appear to be the suggestion of a suspension or abolition, on one view, of trial by jury. Uh, But that, to me, is the nuclear option in circumstances where we have been in lockdown, if that's what we're going to call it, for about nine or ten days And the situation that the Scottish Government considers uh, is such that it requires to stop, not just stop trial by jury, but allow trials to take place in the most serious matters, which presumably includes murder, includes rape, uh, as trial by a single judge. Um, We have juries precisely because we can't trust lawyers to deal with these things. And that's not just my opinion. Anybody who has sat in or been part of a high court trial or indeed been on a jury in a high court trial will have heard from the trial judge, from counsel, people saying, we call upon juries to decide these matters because they're too important for lawyers to deal with. And That doesn't change because we are in this situation. That cannot change. But we require juries, and we have juries of whether it's 15 or whether it's 12. We have juries because what is anticipated is that different jury members will have different life experiences and will challenge the perceptions of other jury members about what they think of the evidence or what they think of the witnesses. And hence, ultimately, you get a balanced view. The the situation on any average jury, you will have, bizarrely, despite the fact that it's done at random, you usually have a mix of either 8-7 male and female or 9-6 male and female, on average. Sometimes they can be a bit awry, but generally speaking, that's the balance. We have young people, we have old people, we have working people, we have unemployed people, with people who own their own homes, with people who own their own businesses, people who don't. Uh, and the variety is what makes a jury safe and what makes people trust a jury's verdict in relation to the vast, vast majority of cases. Uh, I suspect every lawyer could probably find one case where they thought a jury had got it wrong one way or another. 
But generally speaking, everybody understands why a jury have reached a verdict and are accepting of the verdict that the jury reaches. What this legislation proposes is that we transfer that duty, that responsibility, to a single judge of the High Court. Now, I don't know, I haven't spoken to anyone since this uh, legislation was proposed. I suspect there are some judges who would be quite happy to take on that particular task. I suspect there are others who would be unhappy about taking on that particular task. And the reason for that is they're not equipped to do it. It's not what high court judges do. I, I can only think, there may be other situations, but I can only think of a judge who is involved in an examination of facts, so a case where somebody is suffering from mental illness, who has to decide whether facts have been established beyond a reasonable doubt. In every other capacity that I can think of, civilly and criminally, a judge makes a decision on a balance of probabilities. Totally different test, as both we and judges constantly tell juries. So whilst they are no doubt in the main great legal scholars and immersed in the law, they're not immersed in life. They're not immersed in life experiences. A, a, a sort of fairly uh, quick and cursory uh, investigation on the internet will tell you that we have, of the 35 judges who I think are currently in post, 21 of them, uh, sorry, 21 of them are between the ages of 60 and 70. The rest, I think, are all over 50. So you have no youth at all. No, no youth to balance the, perhaps, perceptions of those who are older. There are only 10 female judges, so it's soon to be nine, uh, and I think there are going to be another two judges appointed. So in effect, only 25% of the judiciary are female. The, there are no ethnic minority judges. Nowadays on juries, certainly on jury assizes, we see more and more of the ethnic minority with people having settled here over, over the years. There's none of that. The vast majority of them uh, have done very little else apart from be a lawyer. That's been their life. And understandably, that's been their life. I'm not sure if it's most of them, but certainly a significant proportion of them are private school educated. They are not a representative cross-section of the people. They, they are not people who have perhaps faced the challenges that members of the jury will have faced that they can bring to bear when they are considering whether or not somebody is guilty or not. And I, I think before we jump to some sort of decision like that, we really have to consider perhaps history. We have to consider history and we also have to consider what else we could possibly do. We know, I think, from what people have been uh, posting on Twitter and no doubt elsewhere, uh, that during two world wars, we didn't suspend trial by jury. Uh, as a colleague of mine said to me yesterday, you know, the, the Kaiser and Adolf Hitler couldn't stop trial by jury. But this government, who are supposed to be a progressive government, are going to stop it eight, nine days into lockdown. Now, 
I also think there's an element of opportunism involved here. Uh, we see uh, the Justice Minister was tweeting at some point yesterday about having people remanded in custody. And I think it's important that people understand what the reality of life is in relation to that. Because we, as a, a nation, and particularly as a, as a legal part of that nation, often go on about how we have such a great system because of our rules in relation to the length of time people can be, can be kept in custody. That's a myth, a total myth. Uh, and to give you just one example of that, on a, a day in March, I don't want to say the specific day because somebody could no doubt look it up, but on a day in March, I appeared for someone who was charged with murder. The 110th day, so the day on which they sh had to be taken to court, was only three days away from the day that they appeared. The 140th day, so that's the day when their trial is supposed to start was the 14th of April. Their trial was fixed for the 7th of September. Now, that's nothing to do with coronavirus. That's nothing to do with anything other than the fact that the system doesn't cope well with custody trials, doesn't cope well, frankly, with the fixing of trials. There might be a lot of reasons for that. The fact we shut down a whole load of courts might be one of them. But in that case, that person's 140 day was extended 146 days beyond the 140 days. So we're talking about somebody being in custody for a period of eight or nine months awaiting trial. Now, nobody was kicking up a fuss about that. I didn't hear the Justice Secretary saying this is ridiculous. I didn't hear any judge saying this is ridiculous because that's the system we've been living with for the past three, four years, perhaps. Uh, and the idea that now we're going to say it's really important that people are not remanded in custody is, I think, frankly, disingenuous. Um, the, I, I watched Amar Anwar yesterday on uh, this BBC Scotland at Nine programme and the presenter there was saying to him, would you be happy to visit your client and tell him he'll have to remain on remand until trial? That's a conversation we have every day, every day. This is not news. Um, it, it might be news to them because nobody really cares about it until now, but it's not news. And I'll tell you, every one of us would be much happier having that conversation than we would be going up to have a conversation with them, telling them it will be a single judge who's hearing your, uh, your trial and not a jury. Um, now, th those are all, in my view, reasons as to why we just can't press on with this. But, of course, it doesn't provide any solutions, and I understand that. But I, I think perhaps because we are in exceptional times, people, the justice minister, the justice system, the judges, the lawyers, have to start thinking a bit more carefully about just what we're doing here. I mean, one of the things it seems to me is the first step should be that Crown Office should take detailed consideration of who actually objectively needs to be remanded in custody. Because I'm quite certain there are plenty of people in custody 
who are not a danger to the public. They might be people who are repeat offenders, but they're not dangerous to the public. And in these extraordinary times, those are the people who, it seems to me, serious consideration should be given to releasing them on bail, because that then takes a bit of the pressure away. We already have powers to extend time bars, and those powers are already being used. There are Section 65 applications or which are to extend the, the, the various time bars, or there are Section 75A applications to put off preliminary hearings and trials and so on that are being dealt with day in and day out. And in each of them, they could be dealt with by written application, there could be written submissions in relation to whether or not somebody should get bail, and a judge could consider whether or not they do. If bail's granted, fine. If it's not, they're remanded until trial. I think it has to be an incremental process as to how we deal with this uh, and jumping from a situation where when these people appeared from custody, when they were served with an indictment, were anticipating there was going to be a jury of their peers who were going to be hearing their cases to be told, yeah, that's scrapped. It's going to be a judge, probably a judge, possibly went to private school, certainly never had any particular education other than a legal one, somebody who is uh, elderly, maybe elderly is a bit harsh, middle-aged to elderly, um, that, that that is a situation which I think we cannot allow to happen, certainly without trying to prevent it. Yeah. Um there are other aspects of the bill that have caused you concern as well, perhaps hearsay evidence. Of, um, do you wish to comment in relation to that? But to, to be honest, I, ha I haven't uh, studied the uh, hearsay provisions particularly, but it does read as if what is proposed effectively in at least some instances is trial by statement. Um, and again, anyone who's taken part in a trial will know that uh, quite often what the person says in their statement is very, very different from what they say when they come to court and indeed is presented in a very, very different way for a jury, as should be the case, to make a decision about whether or not that person was telling the truth, either in their statement or indeed when they, they gave evidence. There's also a looseness of language about the legislation, which is not uncommon with uh, Scottish Parliament legislation. But there is language such as that uh, judges will be entitled to make such order as seems fit in the process or words to that effect. Well, what on earth does that mean? I mean, no, nobody knows what that means. It's not identified anywhere in the legislation. But there's also the fact, I think this was a point made by the Criminal Bar Association in their response, that the only other similar situation was in respect of the Diplock trials in Northern Ireland, which of course were for a very, very different reason. Uh, but in those trials, every single person convicted by a judge sitting alone was in a position to appeal that decision on the facts as well as on the law. We don't have that in this country. There's no provision in the Act for that. And I, th I think for many people, one of the fears is that if we take away juries for the next 
for argument's sake, three months, let's say. Then in three months' time, who's to say that the argument will not be, tell you what, it worked really well, let's just forget juries. Brian, time is of the essence, so thank you so much for giving your expert opinion this morning. We will share it as widely as we can. Uh, hopefully as many uh, of the people involved in, in the, the process will pick up on uh, the uh, opinion you've provided. But thank you very much for your time. Okay, pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this Hey Legal podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit heylegal.co.uk to subscribe and join our community. Or you could ask your law firm to contact us for a firm-wide subscription. Learn more, be more with Hey Legal.